Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The hospitals are within their rights to continue to lock loved ones out of maternity appointments, despite the head of the HSE writing to healthcare facilities asking for restrictions to be lifted. Now, the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, has defended what they call, or people are calling, this barbaric COVID-19 maternity restrictions that has said hospitals do not have to lift the restrictions amid growing confusion and anger at the ad hoc arrangements, which have seen families split apart for milestone moments. And I'm sure many of you who've had babies uh, over the last year or so, and by the way, not just babies, Many women who have lost their babies, many women who have miscarriages um, have been left isolated when they've been given that bad news or when, you know, they have to go through a procedure uh, during that particular difficult time in their lives and their partners might be outside a window or whatever it is. The HSE has admitted it does not know that visitor or what the visitor restrictions are in place in each of the county's maternity or the country's maternity hospitals as COVID measures have been basically left up to individual managers of hospitals to bring in their own policies. And campaigners and opposition politicians have hit out at the insulting restrictions which meant expecting fathers and birth partners are being denied access for scans and during labour in some hospitals. For the last 14 months, Ames, Ireland, have been requesting that maternity care restrictions uh, to end now from May 11th. They will be holding a series of strategic nationwide in-person protests outside all maternity hospitals and maternity units. And the chair of Ames, uh, Ireland, is uh, Creesa Lynch, who joins me on the line. Uh, Creesa, good afternoon to you. Hi, Niall. Thanks for having me on. Uh, This is a horrendous situation. I could have understood this at the very start of the pandemic when we were unsure about how dangerous the pandemic is. And don't get me wrong, of course, it's dangerous for those vulnerable groups out there. And, you know, and we weren't in preparation for it. We're now a year down the road or more than a year, actually, 14 months down the road now. And we're still in the same situation. Yeah, I think you've just highlighted that very well. I think everybody, you know, the entire nation, young, old and in between, that's where I am, in between, uh, you know, we all willingly accepted all of those restrictions when they came down because it was a, a huge time of the unknown. Nobody knew what was going on. And of course, you want to protect hospital staff. Of course, you want to protect mothers and of course, their newborn babies. So everybody accepted those restrictions. But the difficulty is, is that things have changed. Knowledge has been gained. We uh, know a lot more about transmission. We have a fully vaccinated healthcare service, and yet the restrictions have remained in situ, and that's very, very distressing and disturbing. It's been, we reckon, about seventy thousand babies have been born in Ireland, in addition to about as you. How many said, are born a day, by the way? I mean, is it uh, roughly about one hundred and twenty babies? It depends. Yeah, it depends on uh, midwives. Will tell you around September the fourteenth, when I had one of my babies, is the busiest day of. Oh, well, I, I'm year. September the 21st, by the way. <laughs> well, so. there you go. You see, you see, you know what your parents were doing the previous Christmas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you and know, by the way, I imagine, I imagine there's a bit of a boom at the moment. I'm, I'm assuming we'll see that in the future because, of course, COVID-19, as they say, the devil makes work for idle hands. So COVID-19, I'm sure, has saw couples being together a lot more. And they're, I'm, I'm assuming there's a bit of a baby boom, is there? Uh, Kind of, you'd think, but not necessarily, no, because some people have a lot of uncertainty. They, you know, their businesses are not functioning. They don't know how to provide for children. They're not sure about health-wise, how things will be. So some people are mm. holding it off. And okay. also you have to remember as well that a lot of people who perhaps weren't planning to get pregnant um, 
are, are not meeting other people. So, you know, if you're yeah. 32 years old and you want to have a baby, you want to meet people, you, you, you know, you, you want to form a partnership, you, you know, you want to get married, you're not enabled at the moment. So, well, see, well, so the biggest problem I too. see with this is, right, I don't see any scientific logic behind this because as you rightly pointed out, uh, the staff of the HSE, care workers, maternity, you people who work in maternity units, they're all being vaccinated or they've all been offered to be vaccinated. That's, that's entirely their choice. So they've all had the vax. The majority have been vaccinated, right? The vast majority. The two people that we're talking about is, let's just say, the husband and the wife or the girlfriend and partner, whatever it is, or, the, or, or maybe it might be a girl and her mother, or the birthing partner, whatever it is. And um, they're both in the same bubble anyway, right? So they're not going to transmit between each other. So where is the risk factor that these policymakers or these managers of hospitals, because the HSE seem to think it's out of their hands, where is the risk factor? Has anybody explained this risk well, factor? Well, you see, now you're coming to the nub of it. <laughs> That's the absolute nub of it. What are the risk factors? And we have campaigned for pretty much the entire of the 14 months that have just passed for a public transparent release of what those risk factors are, of a risk assessment for every unit. And it may be different for each unit. Some units are big, some units are small. We understand that. Some buildings are new and some are older. So let's have the risk assessment. And if you're producing a risk assessment, the risk assessment has to include short-term, medium-term, and long-term risks to the mother, the baby, the partner, the, the staff. staff, and also to other patients that are in the facility at the time. And that, that, that risk assessment is not just about the risk of catching COVID. That risk assessment has to look at physical implications of not having a partner present, emotional implications, and mental implications. And what we do know is that when people are traumatized or have very difficult birthing experiences, yes, the mother carries that, but the person in that triad that carries it the most is the child. And we know that when mothers have very difficult experiences and partners have difficult experiences, it rolls on to the amount of money and investment we then have to put into supporting that family and usually into supporting needs that that child will have. So these are all the things that are supposed to be taking into account. And we I mean, because it must, it must be, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it must be extremely traumatic because I spoke to one lad there during the year and his wife was given the very bad news that unfortunately she was having a stillbirth. And she was on her own. He was left outside in the car. Um, and so there was nobody there to hold her hand, you know, during that very traumatic experience of being told and given that really bad news and what the next step in her pregnancy was. I mean, that must be horrendous. I mean, we, we've seen, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't want to dismiss the fact that many people have watched their loved ones die through windows uh, during this year. And I think we will look back in two or three years' time, hopefully when this is all over, it, we will look back and say, how did we allow human beings to do that to each other? I mean, the, just the humanity of a, of just not being able to be with somebody. I mean, we're disconnecting families. Well, that's one of the, it's interesting you use that word disconnect because that's one of the words that partners, and it's not always, as you said, it's not always fathers, but a lot of the times it is. And they have really highlighted that word over and over. I mean, we have reams of emails and contacts and they've highlighted that word that they feel disconnected, not just from the birth of their baby, but also from the process of becoming a parent, that they have bonding issues now with their child and in the capacity to support 
their their partner in being a new mother. And that's very, very difficult. You know, pregnancy goes on for nine months, not just for the reason of growing a baby, but there are other reasons too. Yeah. It and, helps and people way, get a, used a, to the it's fact. Not, it's not just being part of being a new mother. It's also being part of something which could be traumatic as well, where maybe a young woman has to have a DNC or whatever it is that she, she has to do after having a miscarriage. or And those... Awful well, well, not, well, Niall, those procedures are being carried out without partner support as well. Mm. So that's, you know, that's what when, I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so when somebody gets the news that that, and it is the most horrific news. I've had that news. You know that your your I'm baby is, is not your baby is not the thing that you imagined it's going to be. You know, your whole future just collapses in front of you. You know, and I've known many. I mean, we've had responses from many people who've had that news. And the next decision is obviously what's going to happen now. And people then have to make that decision. Yeah, there's a couple of options available to people. One of them surgeries, another one's a, 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 a medical event. And if the pregnancy is far advanced, they actually have to go through labor. And, you know, people have to make that decision. And then they have to take the treatment. And with the exception of people who are having stillbirth, and I do have to say that the hospitals have been extremely supportive, supportive of people who are actually laboring, who have lost babies towards the end. Partners are enabled fully in that situation. But in an earlier situation, they're not. And, you know, that's very difficult because when someone has a loss, whether they lose a baby at six weeks or whether they lose a baby at 36 weeks, the, the trauma and the effect of the grief, the grief is just incredibly intense and very, very similar. In relation to what the HSE's response to this today, I mean, the HSE are basically saying they don't have any control over this. That, to me, just seems bizarre because obviously the hospitals are in control of the health service executive, but the policies in relation to COVID-19 are down to the individual managers. So we have an individual making these decisions and not the HSE as a collective. So what do, what do you think of that or what's your take on that? Well, I mean, you know, uh, hospitals being managed as personal little fiefdoms has never gone down well in the history of Irish maternity services. You're probably old enough in the tooth to remember, you know, what went down in Our Lady of Lords with uh, Dr. Neary, or actually mm-hmm. not Dr. Neary anymore. I mean, he was entitled basically to run his own fiefdom there. Uh, Tony Houlihan himself came down on Port Leisha because of the issues that happened there in 2012 to 2014. And as a result of those types of things, what we have is we have a national maternity strategy, which was initiated by Leo Varadkar, and which we are all supposed to be, in terms of all the units, are supposed to be complying with a very, very strict governance procedure within it. And what's happening is that that governance procedure seems to have been thrown out of the window. So we don't seem to have any corporate governance over who's doing what. And we also have no risk assessment. So as Mm -hmm. you're saying, it basically comes down to just being told that this is what it is. And a lot of the restrictions just don't make sense. No, it's just been done on a hunch. And it's been done on... I mean, I don't don't want to say a level of paranoia, but I do at this point believe that it is paranoia because I do believe we tend to go down rabbit holes sometimes with COVID-19. Now, I'm not suggesting again that people haven't died of COVID-19. Of course they have. But I think when we talk about transmission, I think we go down a little bit of a rabbit hole uh, as we did with the schools. You know, if the child gets it, goes back to mammy who could bring it to daddy, who could bring it to his mother. We could tend to go down a rabbit hole sometimes when we really need to focus on the people that are involved. And, and as we're talking, by the way, I've just got a text message, a lot of text messages coming in, by the way, supporting what you're saying, by the way, uh, Carissa. But uh, this one here, from um, a man on WhatsApp and he says I'm in the car park of the Coombe right now while my partner is inside after we had a miscarriage during the week it's effing shameful um, and I can see by the end of his 
as Texas quite angry, obviously. And Ashton did call there, and he, there's many other men in the car park as well. This, this that just can't continue. It just can't. Well, continue. It, it really, it really can't continue. And you see, uh, I just want to say something about the kind of you, you pointed to the nonsensical restrictions. So, for example, one of the big major maternity hospitals in Dublin announced about two weeks ago that it was changing uh, visiting restrictions in the postnatal wards. And it was changing them to allow a 4 to 8 p.m. visiting restrictions during the week. And on a Saturday, a 1 to 8 p.m. visiting restriction. So I ask you, does the virus know that what time it's it a is. Saturday? Yeah. Does it? Yeah, because yeah. that doesn't make sense. And that, does, that means that those restrictions are not coming from an infection control epidemiological perspective. Those restrictions are coming from, I don't know what, they're coming from somewhere else. Well, and an, an administration make, decision more than anything it, else. Yes, and it doesn't make sense. So I'm going to give you another nonsensical example. In many of the big Dublin hospitals, and I'm so sorry to hear the news of that, um, person who texted in. I'm just well, so he, sorry. Well, I suppose he is representative of many men, he uh, is, primarily he men is. who be in this situation standing outside he the is. hospital. And, and, and I would say for people who have experienced miscarriage that Felicon, the Miscarriage Association of Ireland, do do have a lot of support um, capacity there. So, so do contact them. Yep. But um, uh, here's another nonsensical one. So you go into the postnatal area, you're going up the stairs, up the corridor, you're turning left into the ward. On the left, side of that ward the left side of the corridor are the postnatal areas where there are mothers and babies and other people visiting so you can go there you can go there between four and eight or you can go there between two and four or whatever the visiting times are and on the right hand side of the corridor are the antenatal wards where people are going to be experiencing medical induction and you can't go there even though those people are in single rooms so where is the logic of that there's no logic whatsoever but look you guys have decided to do something at Ames Ireland and you are now holding a series of strategic nationwide in-person protests outside all maternity units and hospitals. Um, I'm assuming of being responsible about it as well and, and, and within the guidelines. Um, but uh, uh, how many people are involved in this and how many do you expect to get a good attendance, so to speak, for the protest? Yes, well, obviously we can't have, um, you know, we're responsible and we can't have, you know, hordes. I mean, normally we'd say everybody come to a hospital to protest about something or whatever it happens to be, but we're not doing that. So we want to limit uh, each protest to um, between six and seven people. That's all. So if just to make it visible, in, yes. Just to make it visible and just to state the point. We're not going to endanger anybody. It's also some of the hospitals have narrow entrances and you don't want to, you know, you don't want any of that. So it's all going to be within guidelines. It's just going to be a statement. And if anyone's interested in any of the protests, in any of the maternity units, then please contact PR at AimsIreland.com and um, we'll assign you a slot because we have to have everybody who wants to do it. They have to be registered with us. We can't have uh, a free-for-all. Uh, no, you don't, want to, you don't yeah. a free-for-all either, no, of course. Exactly. So that's PR at AimsIreland.com. Perfect. Uh, listen, thank you very much indeed. I think you made the point very well today. I think many people listening, I'm getting so many texts, by the way, from people in very similar situations who've been with uh, partners uh, during the year and couldn't get in with them. Or, or, And I'm going to speak to Dave now in a second as well, who's been in this situation too. But listen, thank you very much indeed, Chris Lynch, Thanks for joining very much, the show today. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dave, you're on Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Dave? What's back? Dave, now we normally talk on at lighter moments, but I know you had a very traumatic experience during the year. Well, during last year, I suppose, isn't it really now at this stage? Mm, um, yeah, first anniversary was actually last Thursday. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, and I, I remember actually oh. at the time Ashling had told me, now obviously we didn't talk about it on the air at the time, and Ashling had told me, so um, certainly my heart went out to you and the, the difficult situation you were in. But explain to people what the situation you were put in. So, when we uh, we went for a three-month scan, um, they detected there was something up with the kidney, um, so they sent us down to Cork. Um, now, to be fair, like, I know we all, you know, shit on the health service in this country, but they had the appointment made in Cork before we'd even left Clamell Hospital. You know, they were yeah, they were really on the ball now, and they did look after us very well. But uh, we went down, and it was just, it was a bit of a back and forth. We were kind of, we were up and down kind of probably a couple of times a week. Your, par- your partner must have been beside herself at this stage now, obviously. Oh, Jesus, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's like getting hit by a train. Like, we didn't know our arses from our elbows, you yeah. know, because... We had been, uh, because of previous history, we'd been attending the, the early pregnancy unit in Clamel. And every time we went, you know, they were like, oh, everything's fine. You know, proper size, everything looks good. You know, so it kind of lured us into a false sense of security, you know. Yeah. And um, after the, the three-month scan, anyway, we went down, we met the doctor, and he said, well, look, um, you know, the kidneys aren't developing properly. So if the kidneys aren't developing properly, you know, um, what's happening is they, they weren't filtering the amniotic fluid. So what happened is, like, so baby, basically, you went to baby, baby peed out, and it, it's just, you know, after the woman stops producing it, so it, it kind of just cycles around. So he was saying because of that, um, what's it called, uh, the kidneys were enlarged. So because the kidneys were enlarged, his lungs probably wouldn't develop either. So they said um, we had to get a thing called an amniocentesis, so where they basically, they put a needle into uh, the sac and take a small bit of fluid, and they send it away to be tested to see, you know, because he said, if this is happening, there's most likely other stuff going on. Now, this was kind of in around the time everything was kind of, you know, COVID and all this. And um, up until then, it was fine. I could go in with her, no problem. I was in with her. I was holding her hand during the amniocentesis. Um, that was all grand. But then when we had to go back and get the results, uh, the hospital had changed their policy. And because of that, I had to wait outside the hospital while she went in and got the news. And so, they, so like, okay, so let's just, I, I, I want to see. So you're sitting outside in the car. While your partner... Uh, oh, not even. No, I was sitting outside the hospital because, I'll be honest with you, it, everything happened so quickly, there was no way I was driving from tip to car because I probably would have rode off the car on the way down. I just, I didn't have the head. So we were getting the train up and down and we were getting the taxi down from the train station up to the hospital. So I was literally just sitting nearly right outside the hospital door. And, and your partner had to go in to get the results of the test, which were basically yeah. bad news, very bad news. That uh, was very, very bad news. We found out there was a hell of a lot more wrong than what they had initially told us. And unfortunately, like, in a situation like that, you need two people there because... Of course. And they say, well, what did they tell you? And she wasn't even... Oh. No, no, no. Know, I mean, no, she, would have, she would have just been in another world oh, at that stage. Clue. Do you know, and the doctor's there talking to her and all this medicalese kind of speak and all well, that. I mean, they, no, the moment she heard there was the words bad news, I'm sure her mind just went Oh, bad. she tuned out. She just yeah, absolutely. She completely switched and I get off. That, you know, I get that. Because I even said to her, I goes like, could you not maybe give me a ring on, you know, and like and put me on speakerphone? And she said like, she asked the hospital, could they do that? And they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't be doing that kind of thing. GDPR. Is ah, some, stop. Shite, like, you know. No, I have to say, to be fair though, when everything started to go downhill and we had to go back to the hospital, um, the management didn't want me in the hospital. They wanted me there for the birth, then they wanted me to piss off back home again and come back down to collector. But thanks to um, the people from Phalacon and the nurses themselves. We spoke at a Phalacon on the air. They're brilliant people. They are 
Absolutely amazing. And like, it, it's absolutely sickening. They, do you know they got no funding from the government whatsoever? That's right. right. Well, I, I had them on the air the, during the year and obviously we tried to help them raise a bit of money. Um, but at exactly that point, they didn't get any funding, uh, which is no. absolutely outrageous. Uh, and they, and they put together these for, presentation boxes, yeah. But if, if it wasn't for Felicon and it wasn't for even the nurses on the ward, I wouldn't have been allowed in. But the nurses basically told the management to take a run and jump. They said, listen, because this had been... This had been three months after we'd found out. So this, is, this had gone on for three months. And it was just, every time I went to hospital, it was just bad news and more bad news and more bad news. And, you know, then we, we didn't tell our little fella until, until the, the last minute because how do you explain this to a 10 year you know? Yeah, you can't. Um, no, it's very difficult to you know, explain that. So, but, like, to be fair to them, they were. They were absolutely amazing. But, like, the thing about it was, normally that kind of stuff, they did it on the fourth floor in Cork, we were saying, and because they have an elevator. It goes from the fourth floor straight down to um, uh, the maternity ward where, where, you know, you get birth. But it said they cleared out the fourth floor just for COVID patients, you know, in case there's any women who had COVID or having babies. They said they didn't have one single woman come in who tested positive for COVID. Not one. So, th- so this is the point I'm trying to make. Now, the HSC have washed their hands with this, basically, and said it's not our problem. You know, we they, they're more or less saying they don't agree with it, but it's not up to them. It's up to the hospital managers to make their own policies, which seems bizarre well, considering well, that. How is it not their problem? Like, that's their <laughs> job, like. You well, know what I mean? That's, 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 that's what they're what saying. Over, you know what I mean? This is what like, they're getting overpaid for. Like, this is the. Well, Paul Reed, Paul Reed is insisting that this is not something they have any control over, and Stephen Donnelly is at the same thing. They don't have any control over uh, that. This is up to the the hospital managers. Yeah, well, to be fair, I should they don't even the HSE don't even know. They were asked what the policies in place in different hospitals were, and they said they don't even know because it's up to the it changes so much, and it's up to the hospital managers. So you've got one person, be it a man or a woman, sitting there at the head of a hospital deciding what should happen. And, you know, listening to Ames and what Ames said there a few minutes ago, I don't know where they were listening, there is no scientific logic for this, because particularly at this point now, Dave, whatever point you were at in the pandemic, all health staff and all healthcare workers are all vaccinated now. But come here, look, even, even back then, people were saying to me, are you not worried about going to the hospital? I was like, well, look, considering what's happening at the moment, COVID is the least of our worries. Do you know? And Absolutely. Like, no, I get that, yeah. All, I, and to be fair, like, all logical reason like, this has just gone out the window like in the last six months, I'd say, more. Do you know, it's, just, it's another symptom of like, the broken healthcare system that we have is the fact that there's just no accountability. You know, like, it should be... But I mean, be be before to- COVID came along... A hospital was a place where sick people went, and always was. That was the, that's the whole nature of hospitals. Yeah. And many sick people have infectious diseases, many infectious diseases, and have had for the last 50 to 100 years, as far as I can remember. So being a healthcare, um, you know, working in healthcare, and I'm not having a go at doctors and nurses, there has to be a level of understanding that if you're a doctor or a nurse, you're dealing with people who may have infectious diseases, and there's always that small risk, and the risk is still only small. So I still yeah, I don't it, understand at this point, particularly when they're all vaccinated now, why they still what will allow people like yourself or partners of people having babies at that you know great moment, that milestone in the child's life and a father and mother's life to be there with them. There's no reason. No, there's no it, logical it, reason for it. And if you also think about it, back during COVID, like when they scale back, like they weren't doing elective surgeries, they weren't doing appointments and stuff, the hospitals were practically empty. So it would have been very easy to socially distance couples from each other. You know, like even when we were blowing cork, like the times we were getting the scans, there weren't that many people there. And in regards to us, when we were, when I was allowed in with her, we were brought straight into a room because, you know, they were nice enough not to leave us sitting around a bunch of pregnant women. 
you know, so like, I, to be fair, like I, I feel bad for the nurses and the doctors, you know, not so much consultants. I, I have issues with them, but like the nurses, to be fair, they said it themselves. They, they know it's absolutely ridiculous, but their hands are tied. Do you know what I mean? Because if, if they go against the hospital rules, that could be their job on the line. Do you know what I mean? Oh, no, no, I get it, Dave. I get it, Dave. Listen, I have to go to break. Dave, thank you very much indeed for coming on. I appreciate your honesty in telling your story. And so many people, by the way, uh, texting in with similar stories as well. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.